turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We're going to continue our walk through the Beatitudes. I'm going to read verses 3 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Beatitudes are a path, not the path, but a path of discipleship. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There are, the first three is about emptying. It's about self-emptying. It's about emptying yourself, and it starts with the first step of repentance, poor in spirit. It's the first step of getting help. It's the first step of, on, the step of, on, the, on the path of salvation, and it, it's, it, it, the first three are upward. They're both inward, but they're also upward. So the Beatitudes, then, are really uh, a portrait of what the cross is about. Some people wondered, have wondered why Jesus was crucified on a cross. The cross, for one thing, we are, when you stretch your arms out, we are a symbol of the cross. It took something terrible, awful, uh, that the Persians had developed and the Romans perfected to turn it into something that's a symbol of hope and, and, and mercy and grace rather than a symbol of death. But when you've but, but the Beatitudes then, when you study them in, in this light, the first three are vertical, poor in spirit. Once you understand your sin and the, and, the, and the situation of the world, you begin to mourn. And some preachers will tell you that once you start following Jesus, you, you're, you're going to be healthy and wealthy and wise and you're not going to have any problems. And that's just all a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. So any preacher that preaches that, just run. And don't, don't listen to them. But, you know, don't buy their books. Don't listen to their podcasts. They're, they're false teachers. Because the truth is, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize the world is out of sync with Jesus. And the more you're convinced that the only hope of the world is Jesus, is the gospel. And so that's what the mourning is about. But we don't mourn without hope. We, we mourn with the power, through the power of the resurrection that Jesus promises us. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we don't mourn as people with, with no hope. We, we mourn as people that believe in the power of God to transform people's lives. I did a... Uh, I did some work this week with uh, Kentucky with the Tennessee Baptist Children's Homes. Uh, I know the director there, uh, Greg McCoy. He was pastor at First Baptist Portland, Tennessee, where I was interim for a while, and 
we got to know each other. He wanted me to do a study there. It's called Leading from Your Strengths. It's a self-assessment of, of uh, different areas of where people are strong. And we all have strengths, but there's also areas where, where we need help. And, and I talked about some people will just, you know, they'll just say, well, that's just the way I am, and I can't change. Well, then you're just denying the power of the gospel then. And, and really, you can change. That's what, what, that's, what the, that's what redemption is all about. It's changing your orientation. And part of that is this look upward. And the first three of poor in spirit mourning, and then this whole issue of being submissive, of being humble, of gentle, of meek. It's strength under God's control. It's this, uh, it's this upward looking at the cross. It's this vertical dimension, if you think about it. It's, it's it's us aligning ourselves with God. And that's really what these first are about. Then when you do that, there's this pivotal point of, we looked at last week, this hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then you're, what you're chasing after changes then. And what, because you have been given, it, it, Paul says it in Romans 5, that you've been declared righteous. The technical term is you, it's been imputed to you. It's, it's been put in you. So there, there's this emptying of yourself. But then God begins to fill you with his goodness and his mercy and his grace. And then, once he does that, there's to be an outworking. And it's the horizontal dimension. You see, the way you know that you're saved, the way you know that you're in Christ, the way you know that you're being sanctified, the way you know that you're on the path of discipleship, is that Jesus Christ begins to live his life through you. And there's this outworking of the Holy Spirit. And then you begin to live like Jesus in your relationships, in, the, in your view of life, of how, what you're pursuing, what you're going after. And so we, we come then to this, to this fifth beatitude, this blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. So there's this, there's this correlation then between giving mercy and receiving mercy. And it's a theme that th- goes throughout the New Testament. That God is merciful. And the, and the word mercy here is an interesting Greek word. It, it means to have your, to be covered over with something. W- one of the meanings of the word is, 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 is to wipe off or wipe out or to purify. So here's what happens in Christ. That once you admit that you are a sinner, that you are lost and need help, and whatever stage you are in life, it, whether you were a child or a teenager or a young adult or however, however old you were when you came to know Christ, here's what happened. God not only forgave your sins, but He forgot them. So that when He thinks of you, He doesn't think of your past. He thinks of your position in Jesus. He has positioned you in Christ. So, Dana, we can sing about this because we are in Christ. We have the spirit of the resurrection living in us. And because of this covering then, this this having having our sins not only forgiven but forgotten, then we're to live 
as merciful people. Paul really gets at it. He hammers it over and over again in his writings. Ephesians, one of the last letters written, of course, a, a theological treatise, the first three chapters. The last three chapters is about our walk. But he, he wants us to know in, in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, who is abundant in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses, by grace you are saved. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith and not out of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not from works so that no one can boast. Verse 10 says, for we are his creation. It's an interesting Greek word. It's the word poema. Poema, which we get our word poem. It means workmanship we are his new creation we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them so we're to walk in these good works and one of the ways that we are walking in this righteousness this imputed this righteousness of Christ is that we become merciful Paul says it over and over again in his in his writings, he says in First Timothy, I received mercy and the grace of our Lord uh, overflowed along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says it again in, 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 in Titus. He, 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 he gives us this understanding that uh, but God, but when the goodness and, and love for man appeared from God, our Savior, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, not by our righteousness, but according to His mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been given mercy. And because we have been given mercy, we are then to be merciful. And so Matthew, I've told you before, is a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. You can, you can just nail stuff down in, in Matthew's gospel. Even the Sermon on the Mount is a commentary on the Beatitudes. And then the rest of Matthew is a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 18 of Matthew, we get a real practical illustration. Peter, who's been following Jesus, one of the first followers of Jesus, comes to Jesus. have been following. We're, we're kind of in the middle of the book. We're, in fact, everything from Matthew 16 flows to the cross. It's the watershed when, they, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he asked them that, that germane question, who do you say that I am? And everything then from Matthew 16 flows to the cross. So here, here we're on the, on the downside of Jesus making his way to the cross, and still Peter doesn't, he hasn't quite understood what this mercy piece is, what grace is, what forgiveness means. And so he brings a real situation to Jesus, which is true of all of us. We can bring real people in real situations to Jesus and get answers. And so... It says in verse 31, 21 of Matthew 8, 
Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, Peter was doing what the law taught. The Jewish law taught that if someone wronged you, you you to forgive them up to seven times, but the eighth time, look out. <laughs> Here I come. So uh, here's, here's what, you, what Peter was doing. He was keeping score, right? He, he, he had a list. Okay, that's one, you know, and then two, and then three, and he was, he was, he, he was keeping track of how many wrongs somebody had done against him. Well, we don't know if it was his brother Andrew. Uh, it's in my brother. It could have been one of the disciples, but it was obviously somebody close to him. When my brother, or he could have been saying to these people that had been with them for almost three years, uh, if they sin against me, how many times do I have to forgive them? Seven times? And Peter thought he was being magnanimous. He was certainly being true to the Jewish law. Um, the problem was, Jesus, well, here's what he says. I tell you, not as many as seven Jesus said to him, 70 times 7. In other words, don't keep score. You can't count that high. That's what he's saying. You can't count that high. In other words, you're not to keep score. So who's on your list? Most all of us have got a list of people that we want to get even with. They've wronged us. They've wronged our family. It's personal. They've wronged me. They've wronged somebody that I love. And we, we're going to get even with them. I don't know any of you very well, but, but I, either those of you that are listening or those of you here or those of you online, most everybody's got somebody that they struggle with finding mercy. So who is it for you? You see, because here's the deal. Jesus wants your list. Uh, there is a quid pro quo here. Jesus is clear in, in the Sermon on the Mount at the end of, the, of what we call the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive you. So here's how you know that you've got this vertical connection to God. You've prayed the prayer. You, you've submitted yourself. You're humbling yourself. You've, you've repented of, your, of living life your way. But, but once this righteousness piece comes in you, then what happens is God gives you a heart to be able to forgive. And that's the, that's the horizontal piece. You can't have the vertical without the horizontal. You can't have one without the other. Jesus is very clear. There is a correlation. If you do not forgive your brother, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. In other words, you're not saved. You think about that. That's harsh, isn't it? That's, that's the deal. This path means that you're going to live differently. So Peter said, how many times, Lord? Seven times? 
And Jesus said, no, you're, 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 not to, you're not to keep count. I had a guy in the church I served in Henderson that shortly after I got there, he, he had been a deacon before I got there. And the deacons, he was so angry and so cantankerous and all that, they had removed him as a deacon before I got there. I had nothing to do with it. But he was mad. He was mad at me because I was a pastor. He was, and he wanted to make sure I knew everything wrong that every one of these deacons, these 12 deacons had done. And he had a book. He had a notebook. So every chance he got, he, he let me know what so-and-so had done. All the bad stuff. He was really encouraging, I can tell you that. I'd love to see him coming. I was like, oh my gosh, here he comes again. So this was several months later, and he, he, he came to me and said, Brother, then I forgot one. <laughs> oh, good, I want to hear it all, you know. And, and uh, so he got his note, he had, he had a, he, a little, it was a little thing. He pulled it out of his back pocket, and he flipped over, and he goes, this, now this guy. And he, got, he had a list of stuff that he had done. And I said, you know, I don't know him. He goes, oh, well, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, he's dead. And I went, well, no wonder I don't know him. And I, I said, I said, well, don't you think it's time you moved on here? The guy's dead. Yeah, but his wife still comes to church here. I want you to know that she's what she was married to. I don't want to live that way, do you? You know, when you're when you're anchored to anger. For, but but some of you, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't know any of you really very well. But but probably some of you are still anchored to stuff that happened in the past of people that were dead. I go into a lot of churches and I hear stories about people, stuff that happened, and I say, well, "How long ago was that?" Oh, that's fifteen years ago, and they're still mad about it. Come on, you got to be current here. You got to, you got to. You gotta have this, you gotta have this clean slate as it will. You gotta let this imputed righteousness do its work. So Jesus told a story then. He's good at doing that. Uh, he says, for the for this reason, he says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, that which you and I are part of, can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. We began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents. That's a whole lot of money. It's a rich guy. He was brought before him since he had no way to pay it back. He owed the king $10,000, 10,000 talents. He had no way to pay it back. His master commanded that he, his wife, and his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this time, the slave fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that slave had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, pennies. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe me. This time, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into the prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master, the king, everything that had happened. Then after he had, been, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. 
Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers until he could repay everything he owed. Verse 35. So my father, my heavenly father, will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. So in other words, here's how you can know that you've been forgiven. You forgive others. You are merciful. You are forgiving. Does it mean what they did was right? No, it doesn't mean what they did was right. It was probably very wrong. I mean, I've, had, I've dealt with folks that were raped, people that were beaten up, robbed, maligned, slandered. Was any of that right? No, none of it's right. But the deal is, an unforgiving spirit, you are keeping yourself in a prison. And you're locking the door yourself. And the result is anger and bitterness and all kinds of self-inflicted pain that comes from an unforgiving spirit. Jesus wasn't just talking to Peter. He was talking to all of, all of the disciples. God is merciful, and because He's merciful to us, we are to be merciful to each other. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. He says in Colossians three thirteen, Bear with each other and forgive one another. And if any of you have grievance against, against someone, forgive them as the Lord has forgiven you. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you their sins. What I've known of people who are, have an unforgiving heart is they use debt language. They owe me. I'm going to get even. They owe me an apology. I want some sort of satisfaction. The unforgiving man in the parable knew exactly how much the older man, over, other man owed him. He kept a ledger. He kept a record. He knew what the other man's debt was, and he was unwilling to show him the same mercy he had been shown. So here's what God wants from you today. He wants your ledger. He wants your list. He wants you to be clean and current. Before him. God forgave us so that we could forgive others. And the result of that is that we practice forgiveness to one another. An unforgiving spirit results in other sins like anger and bitterness and pain and indifference and all kinds of stuff. People end up depressed and a lot of the depression comes from unresolved anger. But, but for most of us, mercy needs to start at home. Most of our struggle to forgive people is personal. It's people that are close to us. A child, a grandchild, a spouse, a, an in-law, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle. It's, it's somebody, a parent. It's somebody close to us. So Jesus told another story about family. Family. 
Luke chapter 15 is a, is a, is a chapter about lostness that God loves. He, he, he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he told a parable about a lost coin and a lost sheep. But ne- ne- neither one of those are as important as the lost son. We know it as the prodigal son parable. It's probably more accurate to call it the waiting father or the forgiving father. Because in the story... I'm just going to read it. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And a man, he said, and a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have come into me. So he distributed the assets to them, to him and his older brother. Now, many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the the pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carod pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his senses, that's the, the, the key verse here, when he came to his senses, he said, have me and my father's hired hands have more than enough food, and Here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while his son was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around him, around his neck, and kissed him. And The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring me the fatty calf and slaughter it and let, the, let us celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Here's the forgiving father. The son, I've been that son. The son that one day decided he was going to go out and live any way he wanted to. And his father gave him money and he went out and squandered it and ended up eating with the hogs. And one day the creative moment came. The young man came to his senses. You see, he, he became poor in spirit. Now you can't help anybody until they get poor in spirit. Some people that have addicts in their family, they, they, they enable them. They intervene before they become poor in spirit and they're just going to keep they're going to keep walling in the mud but this young man came to his senses he said i uh, hired hands in my father's house got got him better than i am and so he he he, he became poor in spirit began to mourn over his situation and he said i'll go back to my father's house and here's the good thing about god he, uh, he tells a story about this waiting father and god in the in the story god is the waiting father you and i are the son and the son is coming to him. And the father, can't you imagine, every morning the father got up and said, maybe today my boy will come home. Don't you know God's been waiting on some of you all your life? He's been waiting on you. Maybe today, maybe today, and maybe today as I come pass by, maybe today she'll turn to me. Maybe today he'll come to me. He's been waiting on you. You see, God doesn't force himself on anybody. Salvation's a choice. You've got to decide. And this young man, 
the, the redemption started when he came to his census, but it was already available. And he, he started home. And the father, one day, he got up and he looked down the lane and he thought, could that be my boy? And so the boy got closer. And as he got closer, the dad said, I believe that might be my boy. And he did what a Jewish nobleman never did. He ran. You had to pull up your robe and expose your legs, which was undignified. And you can just see him running down that lane to that boy. And, and he grabs him. He's probably got mud and pig poop all over him. <laughs> and he, he's got, his clothes are tattered. And, but the dad embraces him. And when he embraces his son says, Father, I've sinned against you, sinned against heaven and against you. That's, that, that's poor in spirit. That's repentance. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And, and the father said, oh, don't you worry. <laughs> You're my son. You see, God created you to live in a relationship with him. He created you. Those of you that are listening, he created you to live in a relationship with him. He'd been waiting on you a long time to turn to come to your senses and to turn to him. And when you do, listen, he'd been waiting. Get the best robe. Get the signet ring of the family and put sandals on his feet showing he's a free man. It was the robe, the ring, and the shoes are all indicative of, of his position with the Father. And Jesus Christ has come so that you could be restored to your right relationship with God. He is merciful. And he wants you to be merciful. And mercy begins at home. I'm a recipient of the mercy of God. I finally came to my senses one day, but all along the way, I, I had a merciful family, particularly my mom and my dad and my grandparents. They were merciful to me. One night in the summer of 1971, I came home drunk fell through the screen door on the front porch and was laying there in my vomit my mother was I woke up my mother was kneeling over me with a warm cloth watching my face Danny when are you going to turn your life over to the Lord I was 19 <laughs> My mother and my dad were merciful to me. Because of their mercy, I'm, I'm here today. I've experienced the mercy of God. I've experienced the mercy of God of being delivered from alcoholism. But more than that, I've experienced the mercy of God that he called me to ministry and I, that I don't deserve. I, I argued with God for a long time that I wasn't worthy. And he said, you're right, but I am worthy. And I'm going to put my worthiness in you. And finally, he, the Spirit said to me, this is not about you. If you will get past this being about you, everything will get better. And I had all these reasons of why I shouldn't do it. And finally, God said, you're right, but here's why you should do it, because I'm asking you to do it. And that's been 45 years ago this month. And I'm so grateful. Mercy begins at home. Your family needs to know your mercy stories. They need to know that you are merciful. 
that you have received mercy. And because you've received mercy, you are then merciful. Make your words to your family merciful. I love you. I'll help you. I'm here for you. You can talk to me about anything. I'll be here for you. Bless your children with mercy. <laughs> Even in the midst of my craziness, I was in rolling the engineering program at University of Kentucky, and I was living like a total idiot. But my dad paid my college, paid for my college, bought my books, paid my tuition, the whole deal. My dad was merciful. Sometime after I decided to go into ministry, he, uh, he gave me the ring that I wear on Sundays. I don't wear it during the week, but it's, uh, it's got three diamonds in it. it was, he gave it to me because his father gave it to him. And my dad gave it to me as his reminder that, son, I'm proud of you. Don't wait until you're on your deathbed to tell your children that you love them. To bless these grandkids like you all are doing. You know, you merciful. Be merciful. Pass on your wisdom to your kids. When I got ready to get married, they were so happy that it was Charlene, I can tell you that. I mean, it was like, <laughs> thank God you found the right one, you know. It was like, Lord Jesus, you're talking about mercy. Part of my mercy has been married to my wonderful wife all these years. Um, my dad said, he said, well, Danny, uh, I just got some wisdom for you. And I said, what, Dad? He said, don't ever wallpaper with your wife. <laughs> and I understood that when I tried doing it. And uh, he told me a lot of other stuff, you know, just don't ever get in, you know, don't ever get into the credit unions. And I'm not credit unions. These, these people that want you to, you know, they want they, uh, loan places. They want to pay, pay you high interest rates. He said, pay your bills um, on time, ahead of time. Protect your good name. Don't talk back to your mother. <laughs> It was a little late on that one. Um, my mother said to me, take a shower. <laughs> I was not good at that. I don't, I don't understand that now. But Clean your room. Get a job. Tell the truth. Come home when you say you will. I love you. I'm proud of you. I got a letter from my dad that I keep in a, in a fireproof box that he had a good friend to die, and his friend was estranged from his son, and it was awful. They died with, his, his friend died with estranged from his son. And so my dad wrote me this long handwritten letter. My dad couldn't tell me to, his, to my face because he's like me, he'd cry. And so he wrote it out, and I cherished that letter. My dad died March the 2nd, 2012. And every year on the anniversary of his death, I read the letter. And I remember. Maybe you need to write a letter to somebody. Maybe you need to bless 
your children, your grandkids. Maybe you need to express mercy to somebody that has wronged you. Or... Because not to do that is to live in a prison. Not to do that. Jesus says, if you will not forgive your brother or sister or mom or dad or child or son or daughter or daughter-in-law or son-in-law or whomever, just put a name on it, then my Father will not forgive you. I want to express mercy because you know what? I've, I've, I've received mercy. That's why I'm here today. That's my prayer for you as we stand together.